Good morning. As uh, Nick said, uh, you all sent a team of people this summer to come and work with us in Kansas City. And Nick, thankful to be here. Thanks for having us. And uh, David and Amy Humphrey are hosting us uh, this weekend while we're here. And we got to know them and Nick and Rachel well. Um, but uh, I'm humbled and thankful to be with you this morning and to share with you from First Peter chapter 2. Um, this is a book that uh, my wife and I have been studying for the last three or four months together. And uh, yeah, when, when Nick asked me to come preach, he said, just preach whatever the Lord's been laying on your heart. And so at our church in Kansas City, um, I'm the director of uh, cross-cultural ministry and also one of the, the lay pastors there as well. And I get to preach every once in a while. Uh, but we've been preaching through the book of Isaiah for the last three or four months. And this is a great uh, opportunity to preach something uh, that's not Isaiah. So I'm thankful for that. Isaiah is a great book to preach through. But First uh, Peter uh, is an excellent place for us to come back and remember our identity. We're forgetful people, aren't we? Anybody else forgetful? Um, and so, uh, yeah, we forget our identity. We forget who we are, who we belong to. And we, we can often get things mixed up in the way that it's supposed to go. So this morning, uh, I'm going to read for us 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So my, my purpose and my goal in preaching today is to remind us of our identity in Christ as God's people. So first, to remind us, and second, to encourage us to live out our identity in our day-to-day lives. So I want to encourage you and remind you today who God made you to be, and what that dictates and and means that we do with our lives. So uh, for Christmas, I got these socks. I don't know if any of you out there have got these kind of socks before. I don't know if you can see those very well from out there, but that's uh, Atticus, Hazel, and Merritt. I have three children. Abby and I, my wife and I have three children, five, three, and one. So that's what I got for Christmas this year. This is an identity statement, right? You know that you've arrived to dadhood when you get a pair of socks with your kid's face on them. So they, they were so excited for me to, to get those socks. But not just anybody could go out and get a pair of socks with a bunch of kids' face on them and be a dad, right? Having socks on your feet with kids' faces on them don't make you a dad, right? Identity is much more than just a pair of socks that you wear. That happened to me, started to happen to me five years ago when uh, Abby and I first started having children. And that's when the identity part for me became father and dad. That was not a part of my identity before I had children. And so similarly, 
the analogy breaks down at some point, but I wanted a good opportunity to show off my socks to you all. Uh, we often can try to force ourselves into identity rather than that being something that happens to us by God. What happened to us, we are God's people, so that will define what we do. We've all seen the movies, right? Where um, the, the football movie, where the, the star quarterback gets hurt and he can't play football anymore. And then what happens? He goes into depression. He doesn't know who he is anymore. If I can't play football, who am I? Or the person with the great job and they get fired. Who am I? I don't know who I am. Because they find their identity in their job or in their sport or in a relationship. But we as God's people can never lose our identity. We can never lose our identity because we are God's people and it's something that He's done to us, not something that we've done to earn that place of identity. So we can't lose our identity. Have you been there before? Broken down, confused, depressed in a broken world full of sin and death. And you feel confused, you don't know where to go. I want to remind you today that your identity is something that's been given to you by God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this church. I thank you for those that are sitting before me with Bibles open, seeking to receive word from your, um, your holy book. Receive a word from you through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help me to deliver truth. Lord, I pray that you would give me the right words to say and the right way to say them. That, Lord, you would encourage your people to live out the gospel. To proclaim your excellencies among the nations. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So today I'm going to take time to first, like I told you, rehearse God's uh, our God-given identity. So, number one, we're going to rehearse. Back in Missouri, uh, we, uh, we do a lot of talking back and forth. So, I'm going to bring some Missouri to Oklahoma. So, number one is rehearse. Can you all say rehearse? Rehearse. Number two, we're going to remember the gospel. Say remember. And number three, we're going to see the implications and expectations of our identity. And I'm not going to make you say that. So we're going to rehearse, remember, and then we're going to see the implications and expectations of God's people. So the context of Peter's letter, Peter was writing to a group of Christians that had been scattered out among Asia Minor in different cities all over the place. And we see that in verse 1. They're Christians that have been scattered everywhere. And they're going through it. These are the first generation of Christians, the first people to believe in Christ. And the world's not having it. They're not enjoying these people that have put their faith in Christ and have turned away from a Jewish culture or have turned away from a Roman pagan culture because now there's a new culture, a new people, a new race, the people of Jesus. And they're going through trial and tribulation. They're being persecuted. They're asking the question, is it worth it? Should we keep following Jesus? Our jobs are being taken away. Our money's being taken away. Our rights and privileges as a people are being taken away. What should we do? And so people, Peter writes this letter to these people and says, Don't give up. It's worth it. Jesus did save you. He is God. And He will bring you to your eternal home. And then we get to chapter 2. And he reminds them of their identity. Why do you keep going? 
And why do you keep living in the midst of this difficulty? So when, when we get to verse 9, right before that, Peter talks about all these other people who have seen Christ, and yet they stumble. If you see that in verse 8, it says, A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So in the, the culture that they're living, there are people that have seen Christ, the, the cornerstone, and they've tripped over it, and they've not seen Christ for who he is. Those are the other people in the culture that have seen Jesus and they have rejected Jesus. They've stumbled, they've fallen, they've tripped, they've disobeyed the word. And then we get to verse 9. But not you. Not you. You saw Christ and something else happened. You didn't fall over Christ. You embraced Christ. You trusted Christ. Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So brothers and sisters, first, let me remind us of our, or rehearse our identity. Who are you? Verse 9 says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I see four aspects here that Peter's trying to bring out. First, chosen people. This would remind the Christians that Peter is writing to that they were chosen by God. They were chosen by God. In the state where they were living, in the culture around them, everything that was going on, Peter says, you were chosen by God. What would that do inside your soul when you are surrounded on every side, you feel like the walls are crushing in, and then someone comes and says, hey, you're chosen by God. If God chose you, and he brought you out and he made you this people. Do you think he knows what's going on? Do you think God is able to know the situation in which you're in? You're part of God's chosen people. He's a good God, isn't he? And he chose you to be a part of this new people. This new race, as the word could be defined. People, race, nation. A, a people that belong to him through Christ. So you're a chosen people. When it's tough, when things are difficult, when the world is swirling around you, remember, brothers and sisters, you are chosen by God and God will not forget you. God will not forget you. So what is your response to hearing, I am chosen by God. I am a part of a chosen race, a chosen people. Well, one, it makes us think that it's the most important nation that matters to us, right? We're from a nation that we care a lot about, and I think that we should. But I think that there's also a nation or a race or a people that we should care more about. The one that we have been included into by God. You are part of a chosen race, a chosen people. One that extends over boundaries and oceans and colors and ages and uh, cultures and foods. It's everyone that has been brought in by the blood of Jesus. We're all a part of a new nation. Isn't that amazing? And that should create in us humility. That you know that you are part of a chosen people should create in you a deep humility. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for bringing me to be a part of your people. Next, we see that you are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. So the aspect I see here, if the chosen people, the aspect there was you're chosen by God, 
Here, I think that the royal priesthood is uh, service to God. You have been brought in, and now God says you, your identity is to God. You serve God. You've been chosen to serve Him. We know what the priests did all throughout the whole Testament, right? They offered sacrifices, and their goal was to, to, to bring everyone into communion with God through offering sacrifices, both to the people of Israel, but also the priests had a special ministry also to the nations all around them. They were to bring everyone in. If you remember, there was the court of the nations or the court of the Gentiles in the temple. The priests were in charge of allowing anyone that would come to find God to do that. Romans 12.1 says that we offer a living spiritual sacrifice. In 1 Peter 2, in the first few verses, it says that you are part of a holy priesthood, that you offer spiritual sacrifices, that your life becomes a living sacrifice. You offer spiritual sacrifices. And you're part of a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood, another identity marker. When it's difficult, when the world looks down on you and spits in your face, remember, you have a higher position and a more important service than anyone else in the universe. Because you've been given the the gift of serving as the temple and in the temple of God. You get to, to be blessed because you are a royal priest. So what should this create in us? pride. If being chosen by God creates in us humility, then being a royal priesthood creates in us a a proud feeling. Does that make sense? So being chosen by God creates in us humility, but getting to serve God creates in us such a, a deep pride. Oh, I love my job. I love what I get to do. I love who I get to be. I get to serve Christ. And I get to make Christ known. I am a royal priest. And I take great pride in my position and in my status. Also, this creates in us satisfaction. I don't need any other job. I don't need any other pay because I have Christ. And I love what I get to do. You are a royal priesthood. So don't forget, when, the, when life gets tough, when the culture around you closes in, Peter says, remember, you are royalty. And someday you will live in that kingdom and you will be given full status by every citizen of that kingdom and you will worship the king. So chosen by God to serve him as a royal priest, next is a holy nation. I think the aspect here is to to be. So chosen by, to serve, and now to be like God him. A holy nation, you are to be like him. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 14, it says that you are to be holy as your father is holy. You are to be holy as your father is holy. Set apart, undefiled, holy like God. When the world looks tempting, when it's desirous, when you are being drawn into the comforts of earth, remember, you are to be like your Father. Holy, set apart. Remember, secondly, that you are not the only one. It says, holy what? Holy nation. 
So he's not just making you as an individual be holy, but he's calling all of his people out together to be holy. Have you ever felt the weight of being holy all by yourself? There's a lot of pressure in that, right? But when the church is holy together, it relieves the pressure because we're all going toward the same goal at the same time and the same pace. We want to all be like our Father. He is holy, and so we too be holy in all of our conduct. We are a holy nation, and we were made holy not by our acts. We didn't do anything to be holy, right? Who made us holy? Christ did, by His blood. Cleansed us, purified us, whiter than snow, that we would be this holy nation for Him. So what should this create in us? Awe and reverence. We should be in awe that God has made us a part of this holy nation. And reverence, reverential fear that we live in such a a set-apart way. You take it seriously. Fourthly, he says that you are a people for his own possession. His own special possession. And each of these different aspects come from different places in the Old Testament. Isaiah 43, 20, Exodus 19, Malachi 3. Peter's bringing in all this background and now applying it to the Christian people, the church. All the promises of God that were made to Israel, Peter is now bringing those in and saying, this is you. This is you, church. The dispersed church. And do you remember who you are? You are a people for his own special possession. This one has been getting at me for a a couple of months now. This one, I think, carries the the most weight for us. We like our independence, don't we? We like our individuality. We like to do what we want to do. We don't like to be told what to do. We like to be free. And yet, Peter tells these people, you are a people for his own possession, special people for his possession. You are for him to use as he pleases. So chosen by God to serve him, to be like him, and to be used by him, for him and by him. So let me ask you a couple questions here. Does the way that you live and carry yourself declare, I belong to God. God, you can have all of me all the time. God, I am completely yours. I am yours. I am your special possession. Do whatever you want with me. Or does the way that you carry yourself say, God, thank you for saving me. I'll take it from here. I am my own special possession. Thank you very much. I am free, and I can now do whatever I want. There's a very big difference. And that should be convicting to all of us. Because we were not saved for ourselves. We were saved to be his own special possession. So now we pray things like, God, I surrender myself to you at every single moment. I am yours. I am your vessel. Use me, Jesus. Take my life. It's all for your glory. I will go where you want me to go. I will say what you want me to say. I will do what you want me to do. I will give what you want me to give. I will serve where you want me to serve. I am your possession. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. Brothers and sisters, if you call on God as your Father and Christ as your Savior, you belong to Him as His possession and not your own. 
And that means he will and can do whatever he wants with your life and my life. And that's a great thing, not a bad thing. We're so scared often, aren't we? God, please don't do this to me. We were sitting around the pizza table last night at Nick's house, and Nick was walking us through the music dilemma this morning. Nick's like, who's going to lead music tomorrow? And he's like, it might be me, but I don't want to. And I was just thinking this verse, like, Nick, you're God's special possession. He can make you do whatever he wants. And when I got here this morning, Nick had a microphone up here on the stage. That's a, a good example for us, right? God, whatever you want me to do. Do you want me to teach Sunday school? Do you want me to drive across town and proclaim the gospel to this person? Do you want me to give this money? I am yours. I don't have anything of my own. I will do whatever you want me to do. I am yours. So a small quiz here at the end of uh, rehearsing our identity. Does your life reflect your identity? Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession. Yes, maybe, or no. Does your life resemble your identity if you are in Christ? We might, for many of us, fall into the maybe sometimes category. But what will keep us rehearsing our identity? What would keep us thinking about who we are in Christ? We all lose steam, don't we? We tend to forget. I'm 31, I'll be 32 tomorrow, and I already am starting to get my kids mixed up, and I call my daughter my sister's name and all kinds of stuff. That's not good, right? So this is why Peter does this in verse 10. He says, I want you to rehearse your identity by remembering the gospel. Look at verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we keep our identity rehearsed and fresh by remembering the gospel. The gospel is not a one-time walk down the aisle, pray the prayer kind of thing. The gospel is the road that we walk for the rest of our lives, that we have been saved by the blood of Christ. And each morning when we wake up, we remember the gospel so that we can rehearse our identity and then live out the expectations that God has for his people. What does it say here in verse 10? It says once. Once. This is for every single human in all of existence ever. Once you were not a people. And once, you had no mercy. This is true for every single person that's ever existed. Once, there was a time that you did not have God's mercy on you. And for about 3.2 billion people around the world, this once is a remaining once. And it will be an always if no one goes to tell them. What's your once? What about you? When, when was that for you? When, how long did that once last for you? For me, it was 18 years. Birth through 18. I thought I was a believer. And at 18, the Lord rescued me at college. Grew up in a pastor's house. Went to school to do ministry. And yet, all through high school, I was trapped in sin. I was blind. I was in the prison. But look what it says. Once you had no mercy, once you were not a people, but now. If you were in Christ, you have a but now moment for you. You have a but now. You were given mercy. 
And now you are God's people. Look back in verse 9, right at the end there. It says, Out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is another gospel reminder here. Out of darkness into light. Out of death into life. Out of sin into holiness and righteousness by the blood of Christ. Do you remember the darkness that you used to live in? Can you remember it? Do you still see glimpses of it every once in a while? Do you remember what it was like to be locked up in the chains of sin, depravity, and death? Do you remember the purposelessness of your life, the hopelessness, the lostness? Peter says, if you can remember what it was like before you were God's people, then all the fuel that you need for living in your identity is to remember what it's like to now be God's people with mercy. I don't know if you all were following the missionaries that were taken captive in Haiti earlier in 2021. They were in there for two to three months. Did you all hear about that? 17 missionaries trapped, uh, taken hostage in, in Haiti. And one night, in the middle of the night, they took their, their kids, put them under their clothes, and they walked 10 miles out of captivity. Can you imagine three months being held by a, a drug gang? And then one night, you're able to escape, and you run, and you run, and you run 10 miles. And then, the next morning, you see the sun rising, and you're not in captivity anymore. Can you imagine what the feeling of that would be like? That's what Peter's trying to stir up in his people right now. Brothers and sisters, you used to be in the worst prison. You used to be held by the worst person. You were in the chains of sin and death and God set you free and you have mercy and you have life and now you belong to God. He says you are God's people. Have you been set free? You may have been sitting here your whole life and maybe you've been acting like God's person but have you really received mercy? Has he set you free? Have you been taken out of darkness into his marvelous light? You'll know this because Christians work from gospel blessing. And non-Christians, religious people, work for gospel blessings. People who are saved work from gospel blessing. You see joy and life in them. They just can't help but live out their identity because they know what they were saved from. Each of us is the worst sinner that has ever lived. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy. I am the chief of sinners. And Paul says that's true of everyone. We are all the worst sinner ever. And God saved you and he set you free and he brought you out. So you either work from gospel blessings or you do it incorrectly and you work for gospel blessing. If I said that wrong, from gospel blessing, not for gospel blessing. That will wear. Now we've rehearsed our identity by remembering the gospel and now to finish it out, verses 11 and 12. It's who we are that defines what we do. It's who we are that defines what we do. We are a chosen, royal, holy, and possessioned by God people. So we, 
sorry, in verse 9 first, the first thing that God's people do is they proclaim his excellencies. Verse 9, it says that God did all this that we may proclaim his excellencies. So brothers and sisters, God's people naturally proclaim his excellencies. We proclaim both his qualities and his deeds. If God has set you free, tell somebody about it. If God has set you free, tell somebody about it. I don't care if it happened five years ago, 20 years ago, 70 years ago, 120 years ago. Tell somebody about how God set you free then and how he's continuing to set you free. And then tell people about how good God is. Well, read the word and see it and begin to tell people how good your God is. Who should you tell? Tell everybody. Tell the people in the church. They need to be reminded of God's excellencies. And then tell everybody else, everybody else outside of the church. We have the opportunity to tell people from Somalia. We have 10,000 refugees living in, from Somalia living in our city. And of those 10,000 people, there are three Christians from that people group in our city. And so for the last three and a half years, our family, and now we've joined others with us, about 12 of us, our goal on a daily basis is to get the gospel to these people that have never heard, trapped in Islam. And unless somebody goes to them intentionally with the gospel, they will never hear. So number one, what do God's people do? They proclaim. Now verse 11, what do God's people do? It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from passions of the flesh which which wage war against your soul. So as God's people, you proclaim. And as, as God's people, you abstain from the passions of the flesh. As sojourners and exiles, what does that mean? Sojourners and exiles, that means that you do not belong here. You don't belong in Enid. You don't belong in Oklahoma. You don't belong in the United States of America. You belong in the heavenly kingdom with God. And you're just a sojourner in exile. So stop getting comfortable here and start getting ready to be with him. How? Proclaim him and abstain from passions of the flesh. Oh, it doesn't sound that bad, right? Did you read the last part of verse 11? The passions of the flesh are waging war against your soul. They're trying to kill you. They're trying to keep you from your heavenly home. 1 Peter chapter 5 says that the, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking people to devour. If you let your flesh consume you and if you do not con, con, uh, abstain from it, it will kill you. Brothers and sisters, don't forget the gospel and don't get comfortable. Abstain from the passions of your flesh. What passion of the flesh do you need to abstain to and abstain from in 2022? Maybe that's a prayer you ask today after church. Lord, what do you need me? What is around me that I need to say no to, to put to death, to, to destroy? Help me, Lord. The third thing that we see that his people do, God's people, in verse 12, they keep their conduct among the Gentiles pure and honorable. The Gentiles here could be nations or non-Christians. We saw in verse 1 that these people are scattered all over these different cities, all over Asia Minor. And, he, and he's saying, you, God's chosen people, God's people, live honorable lives among the people among whom you're living. Live honorable, pure lives. Let your conduct be like your father's because you are a holy nation. 
Why do we live this way? Look at the second half of verse 12. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God is coming. And only those who glorify Him by trusting in Christ will be with Him forever. And Peter wants those people, and now he wants us to live honorable lives that people may see our good deeds and see that there's something else to the way that we live rather than just religion. We are a saved people. What do you want more than seeing other people be brought out of darkness to receive mercy and to be called God's people? What more is there to live for than that? The question here is, what part of your conduct is out of line with the identity of God's people? If God says, you need to have honorable conduct among the nations because you belong to me, what part of your conduct is out of line with your identity? Another question to ask this afternoon as you spend time with the Lord. And know that as you ask that question, there's a war waging for your soul. So today we remembered our identity, we rehearsed the gospel, and we saw the expectations and implications for those who call on God as Father. Uh, we'll, we'll sing this morning, but maybe you need to take care of business with the Lord. Maybe you need to, to pray and ask Him for mercy. The Lord says that anyone who calls upon His name will be saved. Anyone that trusts in Him will be given grace. Maybe you have some serious problems in your identity that doesn't match. Some serious problems in your conduct that doesn't match your identity and you need to repent. Maybe you have somebody here that you need to go and say, my conduct has not been like that of Christ. And you need to repent to a brother or a sister. Would you ask God to search your heart this morning? Remember, your flesh is waging war against your soul in this moment. He doesn't want you to close your eyes. He doesn't want you to pray and ask Him to search you. He wants you to feel comfortable. The evil one wants you to feel like there's no problem with your life whatsoever, and that's not true. Christians are always growing, always becoming more like Christ. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. Thank you for making us your people. We love you, Jesus. Amen.